to the Web 2.0 Show with your hosts, Josh Owens and Chris Saylor. We're a show about the new web, the latest thoughts and technology behind internet development and content delivery. Welcome to episode 16. This is becoming more of a regular thing. Chris and I wanted to do another pre-portion of the show where we just get out some thoughts and uh, some stuff that we've had coming in, tell you what's uh, coming up with the podcast, stuff like that. First up, we wanted to go over some of the some of the stuff we received in via email. Let's see. I have a list of things that uh, people have sent me. The first one is David sent us a link to his website, esnips.com. Esnips is a place where users can upload and share any kind of digital content. And, of course, it has tagging and all that good stuff. And it looks like you get a gigabyte of storage. It's pretty good. Thanks. Paul wrote in to let us know um, their program is NetJaxer. That's netjaxer.com. It's a free and easy way to integrate a user's favorite Web 2.0 apps like Gmail, Tadalus, Dig, Rightly, Kiko, iOutliner, Mebo, blah, 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 right into Windows. You can create desktop tray and quick launch icons. And uh, actually, if you're on Windows, that sounds pretty doggone cool. Yeah, it does. That's kind of one of the things I never really liked about Mebo is that like there was no way for it to pop up on me. So ah, I'll have to check that out. For all you video files, watchthisnext.com. It has all your Ajax goodness, of course. Sounds like YouTube, maybe? You have the movies at the top, and you have boxes at the bottom that says loved it, haven't seen it, loathed it. And you just uh, drag and drop. Like here we have Pride and Prejudice, the widescreen edition. Let's see. Okay, so it's it's like movies you would rent type thing. Yeah, haven't seen it. So you dropped it into your haven't seen it box. Hanky panky. Well, what, what's that do for you, though? I mean, can you integrate that into your Netflix or your Blockbuster rental queue? Like, you know, the mail services that they have? That would be really awesome. Well, that would be awesome. After yeah, if you guys are listening, you should really integrate that with Netflix somehow. That'd be cool. Otherwise, I have no idea what this is buying me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's fun, though. <laughs> Everybody loves Dragon Drop. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got? All right. Let's see. And, of course, we always love Web 2.0 stuff because, well, we never take ourselves that seriously. <laughs> um, it's the Web 2.0 quiz. And uh, I wasn't quite Michael Arrington, but I did pretty well. Yeah. I, I think I scored like a 35. Yeah, I think I got a 34. You beat me by one. But I think my, my shortcomings was more of the Star Wars references. <laughs> sad, sad, sad. I think we both need help. Oh, man. <laughs> we also have one of the hot topics this week was... Katarina Fake. She had an article on bad time to start a business. Well, here's a tip. It's always a bad time to start a business. <laughs> the odds are stacked against you. Yeah. You're probably going to fail. So, you know what? Yeah, Who well, cares? I do, it do anyway. think part of her point, and it was kind of misconstrued when I was picked up by the blogosphere, is that it's a bad time to start a business in San Francisco because there's so much going on. You're going to feel pressures to grab VC funding, um, you know, everyone's throwing these big parties like when we're in South by Southwest. It's just getting kind of ridiculous out there in San Francisco from the sounds of it. But uh, David uh, Heinemeyer Hansen responded on his blog, Loud Thinking, and uh, said that he disagrees and thinks this is a great time to start a business. Um, and he listed off a bunch of great points, and, and I tend to agree with him. I think it is a great time to start a business. Never been better. Can we do an episode without mentioning 37 Signals? I, I don't think we can. <laughs> yeah, 37 Signals needs to institute a policy because they have the whole ads thing, referral fee thing. They need to have like a podcast referral thing. 
every time we mention their name, we, maybe we get paid a nickel. Or, or we get like our free month of Basecamp subscription because that ain't cheap. <laughs> 37 signals, 37 signals, 37 signals. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, moving right along. I know in our last podcast, we mentioned pretty much that we all suck with color. <laughs> um, Lyndon Perry wrote in to let us know for people on a Mac, and hopefully I'll be getting my Mac soon. There's a program called Color Designer. It's only 10 bucks for a license. Feed a developer, please. <laughs> It'll actually... <laughs> Feed a starving developer. If you're working in... <laughs> exactly. If you're working in Illustrator, um, you can easily find the colors complement. Uh... That was all, all your snippets you said? Nope, one last thing. Sergey uh, wrote in to let us know, for all you uh, pasty geeks in the valley that need to get out and see the, uh, and enjoy some time in the sun, they're uh, they're trying to put together game competitions. Um, except they mentioned things like foosball, ping pong, and billiards. That's not really out in the sun, so I guess I had that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Maybe they could play lawn jarts. <laughs> <laughs> At least socialize. Get out in front of your yeah. computer. But I guess that that's only for the valley. Uh, we actually we need this for everywhere. Except there's like what ten startups maybe in Cincinnati, <laughs> probably like thirty down in Miami. No, I'm just kidding. Is that it? That is it. All righty. I guess now we can get into the next thing. We talked about this uh, a couple episodes ago, taking a page from a couple people's uh, idea book. Kevin Burton had an idea where he did angel funding via. AdSense, he shared out his AdSense information and had people put it on their website, and the money that rolled in was his to help with this startup. We thought that was a very cool idea, and we also had seen that... Text Drive. Uh, text Drive, yes, thank you. Text Drive had done a, I guess, kind of a lifetime hosting deal where they offered up a package for like $400 or something like that, and you got a hosting for as long as the company was around. And we thought that was really cool. That was how they decided they were going to raise money. Well, and we really like that idea. We're a hosting company as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of put two and two together, and we thought, you know, we suck as designers. We really need some design work done. So that's one way to raise funding. And also we want to take this thing full time. We want to devote all our time to hosting and podcasting. So we're going to do the same thing. We're going to offer a a lifetime hosting package to pretty much anyone, really, that, that wants a hosting package. What we're going to need for you people to do <laughs> is um, we're really going to need your help. Um, if you could mention it to your friends and your family, anybody who would like to have hosting for life could help us out, that would be incredible. And Spread the word, blog about it, you know, link, link back to us on steelpixel.com. We'll have a blog post up by the time this podcast is out. Just get the word out there. That's what we're looking for. And hey, you know, with with your hosting package, you get access to uh, the two developers. Um, we've done a ton of PHP work. We've done a ton of JavaScript, and we're knee deep in Rails. So, yep. and uh, you know, as a lot of our customers are finding out, we're just kind of down to earth guys. You email us, we'll take care of your problems. We'll help you figure out how you can do something or what you need help with. We also want to talk about our, our new, actually the project we're working on in Rails, Transponder. Yeah, Transponder. That's one of the biggest pushes behind our non-VC funding. We are not designers. We have contacted a couple designers, and they're very expensive. <laughs> we found some cheaper ones, too. We want to work with them because we're not great usability guys, and we think that when we put this product out, it needs to be easy to use. And that's our 
That's our number one goal. The idea behind it is to track podcast download statistics. That's the first and foremost function of the tool. The second part, and we feel this kind of goes hand in hand with podcast tracking, is podcast distribution. Whether it be via BitTorrent or Coralized or from your server, if you get popular, that's a lot of bandwidth you're going to be serving out. We have 4,500 listeners on average, and we're pushing 300 gigs a month. Um, for your normal user, that's not something you can you can do cheaply. So we want to help people achieve these higher listener levels bandwidth-wise at a very cost-effective rate. That's something that we want to integrate into Transponder also. Back to what I was saying earlier, we suck as designers. <laughs> We're not, as you can see from the SteelPixel website, we can emulate a Web 2.0 type of look with rounded corners and gradients and you know all the, the I don't know, cliche design stuff that's out there now. But from a usability standpoint, I think we have a lot of problem designing something that's usable. At least I do. I know when I've designed things in the past, they haven't been <laughs> highly usable. And it comes back and kind of bites you in the butt later when, when people are like, how do I do this? I don't. It's one of those things that I think we definitely need to, we need help on. Cool. Well, enough of that. But that does kind of segue into, you know, the other thing we wanted to talk about, which is the... Podcast listener growth. This is something that's kind of baffled me. We're kind of stuck at uh, 4,500 here. And yeah. although we have had problems with audio in the past. Nick Carlson. Uh, he's, yeah. he's going to be doing the uh, audio engineer work for us. He's probably getting all wide-eyed as he's editing this one. <laughs> I'll talk to him and see if he wants to put a link in the show notes to. I know he's working on a project. Um, and uh, he also has a personal website, so we'll see what links he wants us to put out there for him. But uh, he's definitely he's helped us with the audio on episode 15 and on this one, episode 16. So hopefully things are improving. Now, please let us know because I know in the past everybody has different stereos, and for some reason the podcast seems to sound differently on different equipment. So if you for these last um, which ones? So what? Episode 15 and 16. Right. Tontic and Ryan King, and then this one is Greg Story and Jason Santa Maria. If you are having problems with it, please write in, let us know, and let us know your audio equipment so we can try to figure out what's going on. To me, the real question is, how do we grow beyond this 4,500 people? You know, how, how, how do you take a podcast to the next level? I mean, we've got examples like uh, Leo Laporte has posted some numbers. He has over 100,000 downloads each time of Twit when they post an episode. And the other Web 2.0 podcast that's out there, they have around, Inside the Net has around 45,000 downloads for each episode. So is it just, I mean, we didn't grow. We grew by leaps and bounds when we had Kevin on the show or when Kevin mentioned us on Twit. So is it just, is it just TV personalities can drive more traffic? Or I don't know. Because, I mean, I know, I think O'Malley posted some numbers on his pod sessions that he does, uh, and he has 300 or so listeners. So, And he has a he has a huge readership, yeah. but, not, you know, not so big in the, in the podcast realm. How do you take your podcast to the next level? If, if you guys have ideas or feedback, we're, we're certainly open to it. I guess one of the ways you could always do it is be controversial. Um, that seems to be a popular way for 
a lot of people, like, you know, just say something crazy and wild and let the fur fly. <laughs> We've talked about that before with uh, other companies and how they'll just go up and attack the big guy on the block and be like, yo, you know, you oh. suck. What are you going to do about it? Oh, yeah, we don't know anybody who did that. Rails. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But we don't, we can't, we can't utter their names anymore. <laughs> we have been foreboden. <laughs> Upcoming episodes. Jeffrey Bean. Yes, or? Google. Google, Google. This will be our first Google employee. Formerly of, um, help me out. Adaptive Path. Thank you. And then uh, the famous Eric Meyer, CSS God, after that. Yeah, and actually, oddly enough, in that episode, we tend to stick a lot on books and book writing and digital books. So that'll certainly be interesting. Especially for you would-be authors out there. And then we have coming up after that, uh, David Hanemeyer Hansen, who is the creator of the Rails framework and employee of 37 Signals. There's another nickel. Woohoo! <laughs> That's like the Pee Wee's Playhouse. They used to have that magic word. <laughs> <laughs> we should have to put like twenty dollars in a jar every time we say thirty-seven signals. On <laughs> he was also—I don't know. This is kind of funny. He was voted like I don't know, business week called him sexiest geek alive or something like that. <laughs> really? <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> a little strange too. I guess some of the interviews that we're hoping to nail down and uh, get out as future episodes we've contacted heather champ from Flickr. that one will certainly be interesting she deals with uh, a few things over there at Flickr, uh, the least of which is the porn uploads that happen so <laughs> that'll certainly be an interesting topic <laughs> um the guys over at threadless we contacted them prior to south by southwest they said they could do it um but we haven't gotten back to them yet so hopefully we'll be We'll be interviewing them shortly. We think they have a great business model. And then Cameron Mall. We uh, we talked to him at South by Southwest, and he agreed to do an interview. We have yet to contact him, so you know if he's if he's listening to this, uh, be forewarned. We're going to contact you. <laughs> we know where you are. Um, we hope to talk to him a little bit about. Uh, Design and then also mobile design, which is uh, kind of a big thing right now, and not a lot of uh, people are covering it. Some people are, not a lot though. And actually, we have the upcoming uh, .mobi domain name skin ready to come out too. So Sunrise Pier is going to be starting for that cool. soon. So without further ado, we have an interview with Jason Santa Maria and Greg Story. We have Greg Story with us and Jason Santa Maria. Tell us a little bit about yourself, guys, uh, where you're from, some of the work you've done in the past. My name is Jason Santamaria. I'm from Philadelphia. I'm a graphic designer, freelance right now, but I work with Happy Cog in New York and Philadelphia-based Pixelworthy. Most recently, I uh, helped out with the Alista Part redesign. I guess that's it for right now. <laughs> uh, I'm Greg Story, uh, known mostly for Airbag Industries, which is a uh, blog. A website. Is that what the kids call it? Yeah. I also do freelance. Uh, I've been doing this for going on 11 years. Not freelance, web development, but uh, got Airbag started about a little less than a year ago. Doing, aside from Magnolia, other projects which aren't, you know, at the top of all the talk, um, but interesting nonetheless. How did you make the leap to freelance? 
I just decided it was time to go. Fortunately, my family, uh, my wife, my family, everyone really encouraged me to, to do it. Their point of view was uh, that they wished they would have done that a long time ago. A few of them have their own companies now uh, in way different fields, and they just said, take the risk. Uh, obviously, you, you got to know what you're doing, and you got to have something coming in. You can't just quit your job at Taco Bell <laughs> and you know go start a company. But uh, I had done enough experience, and fortunately, through blogging, through uh, just internet, you know, got to know people like Jason and a lot of other people. And building that network of uh, people both online, people you know in person, hopefully you get to meet, you know, some of these other people uh, in person. There's just this network of work that floats out there. So that helps. Me going freelance was, was more a matter of just sort of being disillusioned with uh, the agencies and the basic agency structure, at least the places that I was at. They, they just really lost focus, and it wasn't about the design anymore or even serving the clients anymore. So it was very much a leap of faith. I figured that I wasn't happy at an agency, and if I couldn't make it on my own, then maybe I just wasn't in the right industry anyhow, so I could go you know, bag groceries or something. <laughs> and you'd be a fan fine uh, grocery bag. You, th you think I could handle yeah. that? You know, I gotta, I, I gotta say, too, that um, that's my experience as well. I, I went to go work for a studio which does really good work, but the, the clients that, that we were working with and the type of work that was coming in and the kind of ferocious pace, although I didn't mind the pace, there were what? There was, there was quality. There was um, some steps that were kind of taken out. And uh, where I had assumed that these projects were coming out and everybody knew what they were doing, it was, everything was well thought out, some of those projects just kind of were shotgun. And I th that's when I thought, okay, well, I, I can at least do this, if not better. So I don't, I don't know where that tipping point is, yeah. Because uh, I don't think anybody really intentionally starts out to do that, nor, nor do they enjoy it. But there's some people that um, they, they they like that structure and they continue in it. And I think those uh, who go freelance or start their own things, it's that's just not for them. Well, I think it's also a matter of complacency. I mean, there's that agency model, and these people just sort of get very, very used to the state of their business, you know? Yeah. They don't want to change things. And I realize that it, it can't be that hard. I see these companies and they're making the same mistakes all the time. The companies that I was working for, they're just making the same mistakes all the time and no one cares really and nothing's getting better. There's no sort of evolution of, of their business. It's just, you know, degrading. Right. Or, or worse, <laughs> there's talk of... You know, the, the next big Rallying thing. Rallying the troops. Or, and, right. Um, but, but I, typical. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I, I mean, if it, if it just seems like common sense just to not do these things, you know. You don't have to get huge and make loads of money. And it's about, I guess, priorities as well. Like, I'm, I'm not doing this to make money. And I, I'm probably one of the more blue-collar people <laughs> that, you, that you're going to meet with this. And I, I love just sort of digging, it, digging out in the trenches and doing, doing hard work. Now, when you guys do design, um, do you usually take it start to finish? I mean, start with the wireframes and then into the Photoshop comps and then cut it into CSS and XHTML and then, then deploy it? Or do you guys kind of specialize? You're probably asking us, what's, I guess, what's your process and, and how does that differ from the, from the agency process that you know, okay. we're happy with? We'll start with the East Coast first. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, um, now, now that I have gone freelance, it's very different um, because I'm, I'm sort of brought in on these sort of ad hoc teams, depending on the project. It's sort of formed that way. 
Like with Happy Cog, I work with Eric Meyer, who usually does coding, Aaron Kassane, who does writing and sort of uh, um, brand control, and uh, Tanya Rayborn, who will do architecture, usually. And, I mean, there's it's, it's such a tight team that there's, and these people are so good at what they do, you know, there's a little point in me coding something when Eric Meyer can do it. Like, it's just, <laughs> I'm just going to mess it up <laughs> compared to what he's doing. Um, but on the flip side of that, when when I'm at Pixelworthy in Philadelphia, I, I'm exposed much more to the entire process, and I'll do I'll do the architecture, and you know I'll I'll even help write sometimes, and I'll do the coding or, or flash development or, what, or whatever it is. I mean I I have those skills, but depending on the project and depending on the team, I'm only using some of them. How is that different than than previously working at an agency? Well, at at an agency, uh, it, the ones that I've been at. I've, I haven't worked with necessarily specialized people. I've worked with people who are in the same boat that I am where they can do a little bit of everything. So it, it, once again, it varies from project to project, and you sort of bounce around, and you know, you might not design for a while, and you might just be doing architecture, or you might just be coding for weeks on end. You know, it's, it's all about what, what, what's needed at that moment and uh, not so much uh, what you want to do sometimes, which isn't always a bad thing. I mean, you're, you're part of a team, and that's, that's the most important thing there. Yeah, I mean, just building on that, and then I'll take my turn. Um, you know, it's still, this This is the web, and uh, hopefully anybody listening to this, that's what your passion is. And so just to, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, even though you get in those situations, and, and the situation I was talking to earlier uh, about the agency work, uh, we're still doing, you know, really interesting, cool, hopefully really cool web work. You know, so it's better than bagging groceries. Can I just completely forget your question? What's your process? Oh, process. Yes. How does it differ? Oh, don't um, mind me, guys. <laughs> you know, my process right now. I'm I'm experimenting. So yeah, I mean, I've done everything from just from handshake to delivery, and and I enjoy it. One of the things uh, that I decided to do with Airbag early on was to take the money I'm making and turn it back into the company and experiment with working with different teams. So on a couple projects, I'll do the whole thing. Uh, on others, I'll form my own ad hoc team or, or become a part of an ad hoc team just to see how that goes, you know, what, what, it's, what it takes to manage that. And, of course, I've got experience, you know, from, from doing this for so long. But there's something to be said about doing it over again once you're on your own. Uh, because as, as much as you think you know, having worked at an agency or something else, there's still going to be trial by fire. I decided I wanted to try to get through that as early as possible, and, and I, that's probably a little bit different than what other people would do. But that's uh, it's probably a little bit different in, in my process. Maybe you're just a little different. Uh, that too. <laughs> <laughs> How do you guys come up with color inspiration or fonts? I know when you gave your holistic web design, you mm -hmm. talked about you know there's a map on the page. I always feel it, it needs a certain type of font. <laughs> How do you guys come up with that kind of stuff? Color choices, all that. Drugs. <laughs> Lots of yeah, drugs. drugs. LSD, mm -hmm. like Steve Jobs said. Right, yeah, yeah. right, right, exactly. Actually, just, just paint fumes, usually. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I go into Home Depot, you know, get my fill, and I'm good. I can create anything at that point. <laughs> Color-wise, I just, I, I don't know, I think a lot of it comes down to just sensibilities. You can, you can learn what uh, good color sensibility is, and you can learn what colors work with each other, but you really need to have this sort of feel for it, you know? It's, it's definitely more, more about a feeling 
sort of putting together color combinations that you wouldn't really expect or things that will really reinforce the design. It's not just about favorite colors, but certain colors evoke different responses and certain colors with other colors evoke different responses. And when you pair up these things, you can, I mean, it's, it's a huge design element. It's not just making things look pretty, but you can help lead someone's eye around a page and you can help really reinforce the design and the message that's being told. So do you just do that in Photoshop, open up the palette, start picking colors, or do you have special tools? No, it's, it's, it's usually Photoshop, but I mean, I, uh, even when I'm sketching in, in black and white and uh, I'm, I'm trying not to think about color, in the back mm-hmm. of my head something's still going. And By sketching, I'm trying to turn that off or at least dampen it. But uh, I'm, I'm always thinking about these things. It's tough to, to isolate one portion of a project. Um, and I only, when I, my process, I only manage to sort of, like I said, dampen some of it. And the same thing with fonts. Uh, I'm a huge, huge type geek. I mean, I just read about fonts, and I, I just look at fonts all the time, and I'm always excited when new fonts come out. I'm always uh, looking at the beer like mailing list that I, that I get, and they have some of the greatest stuff in the, in the village site. And I just like reading about the history of, of fonts and about print communication and, you know, the printing press and, and things like that. And uh, I, I think I just I geek out so much about it that I, I just get familiar with a lot of fonts. Despite that, I still end up using, you know, a basic set. <laughs> it's, but it's, um, I think it's drawing from that history. You find out what works and uh, you find out what, what's really fitting into your style. I know a lot of designers have a certain core set of fonts that they, they like to use and they get familiar with those. And that's not a bad thing. It's not necessarily about changing your fonts all the time because there's a lot that you can do with just a couple fonts. And, you know, you can spend years and years and years. People have spent years, you know, never gotten off of Helvetica. And there's a lot that you can do with Helvetica. I don't know. <laughs> in, the case of, in case of that map that Clarendon... Well, just... you know, it's, it's, um, <laughs> if you were to talk to an artist, you know, a serious artist, a professional artist, they're going to have a gazillion brushes. Um, but, but they're, they're going to favor a handful, and, and they're going to spend a lot of money on that handful. Uh, the same with the canvas they use, the same with the paints. Um, uh, again, there'll be a large variety, but, but that's as much part of their style is, is, uh, as it is in, in web design is you're picking those elements and, and developing your, your, your look or, or you know, your, your style. Palette. Yes, oh, sorry. Your, your palette. Your palette. <laughs> um, you know, back to the color thing. You know, color is the one of the most powerful things to help convey tone, and uh, it, it's not even. There's a lot of good books on color, color theory, uh, and there'll be some books that are that are, that are kind of cheat sheets that will tell you. It'll basically be a book of moods, uh, and you know, here's the colors, and here's some some accessory colors. What what the the books don't tell you? So I mean that that's just one part is is kind of saying oh, well I want something regal and here's some very regal colors, but then the proper proportion uh, or use of those colors, that that's going to be completely different from one designer over to another. Jason's work just out of the box will be very different from mine, and even if we're using some of the same type and whatnot, just because of the use of color. You know, very, very, very basic, but very fundamental, very. The other day you mentioned on your blog about the value of face-to-face communication. Do you think that working remotely with people affects the quality of your work? Oh, absolutely. I mail everything in, I mean, or it's phoned in. I mean, it's total, you know. Um, From the hot tub. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, template monster. 
Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I, and I, I think that it, it depends on who you are as a person and, and how you feed off energy of others, or maybe you don't. I also think it comes from just, just knowing how to manage people because who is saying this to. One of the things I, I learned working at a studio was that a lot of companies look to a person not only so much for their talent. I mean, that's, that's kind of the bling on top. Um, but, but they're expecting that this person who produces this kind of quality of work, they, they know how to manage that process, e- even if they're outsourcing some of the things. Like if I, di- if I design something, but then send that out to, for someone else to go code, it, it's still on me. You know? and, and that's part of what they're buying is I've, I've got a mess on my hands. I really don't know how to, to uh, deliver or, or to produce my own thing. I'm outsourcing this, even my grief, to you. Know, to you. The connection with the clients, if, if you're able to do that through email and, and over phone, then no, I, I don't think that affects the quality of your work. There's, there's a, a sense that you begin to build, uh, that you have to build, to be able to listen to someone initially or read their RFP. And, and after a while, hopefully, you will get attuned to what it's going to be like to work with this person. There seems to be kind of like four or five categories, and I don't know what they are, but you know, where, where you're reading something or, or you talk to someone, and it's it's the Malcolm Gladwell thing. You know, you just you listen to your gut, and you think it sounds like this person or, or this job might have some baggage, or there's going to be issues. And then I guess depending on how hungry you are, whether or not you're going to take that job, you know, you, you have to be wary because there are some clients who will constantly want to talk to you. And just as a rule, I never, ever give clients my cell phone number, my I am nothing. I mean, because if, if you do, they'll call you, you know, they'll, they'll call you on a Sunday, they'll call you at night, they'll call you in the morning. And, and to them, uh, I mean, the, the bad ones, they're, they're all that matter, and, and they're not going to have any kind of mercy or understanding. I think the turning that into you, you want to develop a way to weed those people out so that communication, no matter what your distance is, you know, matters. Uh, I only, in fact, I only have one client who's in the same state. S- since starting Airbag, I've had people from all over the U.S. and one foreign country. So far, that hasn't been a burden. It's just, but it is nice to go see good clients uh, because you're going to feed off them, they're going to feed off you, and as a result, you'll probably get a little bit of a better product. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. A lot of client interaction, especially in-person interaction, is all about body language and you know just getting an impression from, from what they want and what they think of what you're doing. And uh, they can see your hand gestures. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Although with video conferencing, it's uh, a <laughs> yeah. Um, if if it's possible, I I love to meet with clients in person, just because it's it's a totally different. Well, yeah, now it's different. It's a, a totally unique way of communicating with them these days. The web is both both a blessing and a, a curse with this, because with communication. Obviously, you don't need to be in the same state anymore. And we've worked with clients that we've never met face to face, and it'll keep happening. There's, you know, some 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 of that's convenient, and some of it's kind of a shame. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you, you can't help but especially on the large projects. You know, if um, if you're doing a large project with an ad hoc team, uh, and, and nobody gets to see each other, you know, mm-hmm. Jason and I have worked together, but you know, don't see each other on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, you know, maybe like twice a year. You know, in, in some large projects, when you're delivering, you know, the goods and, and you're in person and you almost feel like there should be like a yearbook 
or, you know, that, that everybody gets to sign and, you know, have a crazy summer, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Right. Um, and and you, you get that from being in person because there, hopefully there's some type of camaraderie that, that forms um, right. and you don't really get that through distance too much. And, uh, and another point to make, I think, is that communication in person and uh, through email or something is very different in that people have different voices that they communicate with. I mean, mm-hmm. you've, you've met people in person that, you know, are, are very introverted and they don't really talk much and then they're on email and, you know, they couldn't shut up. Yeah. Getting back to Greg's point about sensing when a client is right for you or when they're not, there's obviously going to be email communication when you're working on a project, but there isn't always that face-to-face communication. And when you have the benefit of getting both sides of it, it gives you a much better uh, outlook on what a project's like. And, uh, you know, you might get that client that just doesn't really get what you do, and you don't, that doesn't come across in the email. Right, you know? right. And there's, there's definitely got to be respect both ways. Yeah, I mean, the, working with people that, that you're never going to see, it, it also does require a lot more work on, on your end uh, because you have to make sure that there's no assumptions. And because if, if there are, if you've left anything to chance, it's a dice roll. And it can either go you know, really good or it can go really, really, really bad. And, and I've, I'm in both boats. I mean, so even after doing this for as long as I have, um, there's still times where... You know, I slip up and I just miss a, a sentence in an email that a client sent that I didn't catch. To them, it was the sentence of the email, and uh, you don't miss that stuff in person. <laughs> no, no, you don't. You know, if books are being thrown at you, you you see them. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's you. You really, really, really have to be careful about that. Whereas you don't in person. When you guys do the freelance design work, do you guys do it from your house or do you go somewhere? I mean, how do you keep distractions from from stopping you? Oh man, <laughs> that's or it, don't you? Yeah, that's. <laughs> I watched the view, and and that inspires me to get through the day. Um, so yeah. Well, when I first started going freelance, I was working from home. Right now, I'm working from Pixelworthy. Uh, but when I was at home. It was a challenge every day. You just have to sort of develop your own regimen, force yourself, get out of the pajamas, go take a shower, you know, mm-hmm. eat breakfast, get off the couch. And uh, when there are three episodes of MacGyver on every day, it just doesn't always work <laughs> out the way that you want it to. And now that I work at Pixelworthy, it's, it's, it's totally different. I do uh, a couple days there a week, and I split my time with that. And Happy Cog and my other freelance work, and it's nice because I, I have some place to go. I get out of the house. I have to take a shower. I have to walk out in the world and go someplace new. And it's a much easier separation of work and home life. When you're at home uh, and you're working there, you you still have all of your home duties around you. You know, if you walk by the sink and there are dirty dishes in it, you kind of feel like you should do them. <laughs> and you're really at work and you shouldn't be doing them. So it, it can really be distracting. And it's it's very, very difficult to separate those two and you have to be a very disciplined person or it probably won't work. Yeah, I think it, it, it's definitely a personality thing and I don't know, you know, there's those charts and whatnot. I'm not sure what personality can work at home without distraction. I mean, I've met a few of those people and, and they're insane. Um, <laughs> but I, like Jason, I'm in a situation where uh, a friend of mine is giving me some space um, for free and uh, totally lucked out on that. Although now that I've been doing this, you know, where, where I, I do have an office, um, I, everything work-related is in that office. 
even if I didn't, I think that knowing the experience of others and, and just hearing kind of these war stories, it's worth the money. And it's a tax write-off, um, but it's worth it to go somewhere else. Um, you know, I guess there's – some people work at coffee shops, you know, whatever, and, and I think that's great. You know, it, it's just uh, – you, you definitely have to do what it takes so that you can get in that frame of mind. It, it's not something that you want to kind of leave to chance, I think, or otherwise you're, you're not going to do very well. You know, going back to the everything is at the office. For years, I've had my own office space within the house, even though I wasn't really doing my own thing. You know, I do side projects from time to time. But this industry, you know, is, is my life, and it, it's also, it continues to be amazing and interesting. So I'm, I'm a book fanatic and buy a ton of books. And I, I, I got to say, when I go home, I miss my library because everything is, is there. And it used to be that if, if I didn't have something uh, or if I wanted to go look at something, it was just a matter of going to the, the spare bedroom and uh, not so much anymore. Yeah. Um, but that's also good because then, then it's kind of like, I think, well, do I, do I want to go drive to the office to go you know, do this? No, I don't. And uh, so it, it helps build a little bit of separation in there. Well, I think we, we covered most of it. Is there anything you guys are working on project-wise, you know, super secret that secret you want to tell people about? Yeah, I've got uh, an interesting project that's kind of that's coming up. I, I don't know what the output of it is because I'm I'm basically doing templates that it will be fit over a custom CMS. But I, I was given a lot of flexibility in in to do what I wanted, and fortunately the client bought it like the whole thing, which that doesn't happen often. Yeah, it's it's for a um, mathematical grid computation software. For military and university purposes, yeah. yeah. I and, and I've I've never it, it's still that I know of in production, um, but uh, I can't wait to write about that one. My my creative direction was two words, which is educational humanity, um, and that required a couple of visits to Home Depot, you know, <laughs> to get inspired. Um, but uh, uh, I, I think that the the look is is unique. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to show this to people. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I could see you hanging out at Home Depot a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you are a very tough guy. I mean, you can't see Greg, but he's wearing one of his uh, signature muscle shirts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go bench press a Buick after this. <laughs> All in a day's work. Yeah, it's it's public, or I guess it's not public knowledge, but it's it's out um, on the web, off the Happy Cog site. But no one's really written about it. Maybe no one noticed. Um, but Happy Cog was contracted to redesign uh, Lexico. Oh, yeah, Dictionary.com. Yeah, yeah, Dictionary.com, Thesaurus.com, Reference.com. Um, we delivered the templates, and they're, uh, they're sort of incorporating it into the, the site now. I don't know quite when it'll launch. It should be soon, but uh, we were very, very happy with it. Lexico was a, a dream client, great, great bunch of guys, very receptive to our input, and there was a lot of great communication going yeah, back and forth. There's definitely not much at their site now. When you get no, <laughs> no. I mean, it's that. That's just it. Very much like uh, what we were talking about, like Craigslist and things like that. It's a solid site and it does what it needs to do. But um, you know, it could definitely be improved visually, mm-hmm. and it could benefit from that. It's it, yeah. from from a hierarchical standpoint. Um, the work you guys did on that is just classic textbook. Yeah. Of um, you know, I have no idea when this is coming out, but. You definitely want to go get screen grabs of what it looks like now and, and what it looks like afterwards. 
uh, because that is just going to be the case study for for how those things should be done. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm curious to see what people are going to think of it too, because it's it's when when you when you have a team like Happy Cog working on something, people are are expecting you know the most jaw dropping design that they can uh, they can hope to see, because it's you these are these are people that um, other people online learn a lot from. And they want them to be the trendsetters more than anything. And uh, when you when you come out with a design like like these, like they're going to be, uh, I think people are are going to have to. I, I don't know. <laughs> I think they're just going to have. I to think it will catch on, and, and, it, and it needs <laughs> to catch on because there's um, you know I, I see web design as we're at another peak, and uh, there's you know the the next new look if you want to call it that, or or the next type of of creative direction. Uh, I'm not going to say it's around the corner, but we're getting there where, where work like what Happy Cog is doing, um, I think it's definitely going to set the pace for the, for the next whatever, you know, era of web design. Very cool. Thanks for being on the show, guys. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. This has been a Steel Pixel production. For more information about Steel Pixel, you can check out steelpixel.com. Or for more information about the show, feel free to check out web20show.com. That's W-E-B-2-0-S-H-O-W dot com.